0: Did you notice the boldness in David? Did you notice this when he looked at the giant? Did you notice his response? It wasn't hunkering in the bunker, it wasn't cowering, it wasn't pleasing man, it was, here's the deal, I serve God, you don't, you're in trouble.
1: Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch.
0: Well, speaking of the gospel, let's open our Bibles together and let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 in your Bible, looking from the ESV translation that I'm reading from. I'm going to read one verse today, verse 15. Uh, in our continued word-by-word study of God's Word. And as you're turning there, the question I want to ask this morning is simply this, am I, are you prepared? Am I, are you prepared? You're probably asking, prepared for what? Well, we're going to find out today from one verse what we need to be prepared for, because so many people in our culture today are not prepared. Uh, They will prepare for retirement, which that can be a good thing. They will prepare for a marriage. That's a good thing. They will prepare for children and having children, and that's a good thing. They will prepare for a new job assignment, new employment, and that's a good thing. But the question this morning is, are you spiritually prepared? I use this illustration often when I'm witnessing to someone, because I think it's one that that will show something very simple that they can really connect a kind of a hard emotion to a true reality, but I might take a chair If I'm sitting in a room, I'll even just take the chair and I'll I'll hold it up or I'll set it on the desk and I'll say, what do you notice about this chair? How many legs does it have? And and they'll typically say, well, that one looks like it has four. Good answer. I will say, well, let's kind of label these legs. Uh, One might be the emotional well-being of who you are. Another might be the mental well-being of who you are. A third would be the physical component of who you are. But I said what happens so often in our culture today is that people neglect the fourth and the most pivotal leg on the chair, which is the spiritual leg. And then I'll typically look at them and I'll say, now what happens if you take one of these legs off this chair and you try to sit in it? Well, they kind of laugh and they chuckle and they say, well, silly, I I would fall over. so many people in their lives today is that their lives are falling over they're investing all of their time and their energy and their resources into physical emotional and mental which is good all three are wonderful but they're neglecting the spiritual component of their legs when you neglect those spiritual components of your legs you're chopping off your legs that's why we ask am i really prepared Am I really prepared? You know, I was thinking as we turned to this study today that I believe one of the threats to the true Christian faith today is a combination of progressive Christianity and cultural Christianity. It's such a threat right now. I can assure you this, that the Bible is not progressing. The Bible is what it is, where it needs to be, that the truth is not ever evolving. The truth is the truth. And yet in this cultural Christianity that we live in, it really goes back to the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? When that one phrase that's so enticing, that has such an allure, has such a draw, has has such a pull, a gravitational pull to it, that when we hear, you will be like God... Boy, that's intoxicating, isn't it? See, nothing's really changed. There's nothing new under the sun. Often we think it has changed, but it really hasn't changed. And yet when you look at that, the churches that are often the most attractional in our culture today are often the churches that look most like the world. And yet God has called us not to look like the world. God says through His Word that you're in the world, but you're not of it. You're no longer in the darkness, you're now in the lights. And part of this being in the world, but not of the world, is being prepared. We typically don't stumble into being prepared by accidents. There's an intentional focus, an urgent focus, a dialed-in focus that says, I have given my life to Jesus, my life is no longer my own, I'm crucifying my flesh daily, I, I no longer want to live in this constant merry-go-round going nowhere of emotional roller coasters from one to the other as I try to hang on to Jesus and hang on into the world, and yet so many people are doing just that. We don't need to give people more of the world, we need to give people more of the Word, because it's the Word, the truth that will set them free. You know, I thought about this thought as I began to read this one verse, which is a a famous verse. Not that there aren't any famous verses in Scripture, but I think many know this one by heart. But I thought about this thought of being prepared, and, and this hit me this past week. And here's the thought. Standing for the truth of God's Word does not create a diseased, broken system. Standing for the truth of God's Word exposes it. You don't become more diseased by falling in love with God's Word. God's Word reveals where the disease already is. And as we're looking to be prepared... God's word says this in verse 15. Listen closely. But in your hearts, interesting, notice where this is to occur. Honor Christ the Lord as what church? Holy. Always being church prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. This is an amazing verse that as we unpack this together today, you're going to see prayerfully, if you don't already understand this verse or have not been taught this verse before, I pray you're going to see something fresh and new Because go back for just a moment to verse 13 and 14. Just go up two verses in your Bible. Just look up there. Look at this for a moment, how this fits in so beautifully. I'm going to read this together. 13 of 1 Peter 3. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them nor be troubled. Here's verse 15, but. Now do you see this when we read it together? This word but is a transitional word. Transitional words in Scripture as you study the Word of God, as you dig deep into the Word of God, as you open your Bible each day and you say, Lord, speak to my heart today and illuminate the truth to me. These are not filler words. These are words that have great weight, have great meaning. We just saw in 13 to 14, hey, you're going to be zealous you're going to be persecuted. He's writing to this group that's being persecuted. They're on the run. They're being dispersed. And he says, look, you're going to be blessed in the midst of this. Your blessing may not come in this life, but he's saying, Peter is, your blessing will definitely come in the next life. Amen? And I don't know about you, but I'm hanging my hat on that truth. Anyone else hanging their hat on that truth? Like, I'm hanging my hat on that truth. That the blessing in my life may not come on this earth. But I know my Redeemer lives. I know that on the third day that King Jesus, that he ran out of that grave. He ran out of that grave. I believe that with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, I stake my life on this truth. I know for a fact that Jesus Christ is not dead, but he's fully alive. Now, if you believe that today, if you've internalized that in your heart today, that will change everything you do in life. But if you're just kicking the tires, you will continue to be enslaved to confusion. And the enemy loves it when you get close to Jesus, but just not to Jesus. Because now he can create even more confusion. Because it seems true. It seems right. It seems biblical. See, Peter says, look, but... But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. See, the heart is the origination of where everything happens. The mind is the data center. In my heart, if I'm trusting the Lord, if I've really given my life to Jesus that He's transformed my heart, He's transformed your heart, He is sanctifying your heart, ongoing change, becoming more like Jesus Christ, it's a process, and as He's doing that, the data center is connected to my heart. And as the data center is connected to my heart, as I feed my mind, as you feed your mind, as you even talk about Scripture, we say it out loud. We might say, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Psalm 118, verse 6. As we say those words, I'm hearing those words. They're going into my head, and prayerfully, they're getting driven. I pray they're getting driven deep into my heart. Matter of fact, from our reading today in Proverbs chapter 7, hint, 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 as wisdom cries out, it says this. It says, keep my teachings. It says, keep my commandments. It says, bind them around your fingers. It says, write them on the tablet of your church heart. You can only be on one side of the truth if you really want to walk in the truth. And here Peter is employing these readers who are dispersed, they're being persecuted for the sake of Christ. He's saying, look, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your brokenness, here's what he's saying to do. He says, honor Christ as holy in your heart. In other words, set Him apart. And here's the beauty. When you've truly been saved, and it's real, it's not phony baloney, it's not Humpty Dumpty Mr. Rogers. Here it is, when it's real, when your life has been gripped by the blood of the cross and the empty tomb, when it's real in your life, this is not something you have to manufacture. It's just what happens. And Peter's saying, Look, I want you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, by his blood of Jesus Christ, I want you to honor him as holy, as set apart. See, when we honor Christ as holy and he's set apart, what happens is that we begin to see him for who he really is, and we begin to see who we really are in comparison to him. The humility comes on the scene. The contrition, the brokenness, that we see how in dire need we are for the Savior, not a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is King Jesus, and we begin to see that vertically for how that should look. We give our lives to Him, and what happens now as we surrender everything to Him, now everything we do from that day forward when it's real and true is now an outflow to Him. That's why key number one in your notes is this, and write this down. A critical catalyst in overcoming the temptation to fear man is to intentionally and urgently focus on honoring Christ as holy. Write this down. Key number one in your notes. A critical catalyst in overcoming the temptation to fear man is to intentionally and urgently Focus on honoring Christ as holy. You might say it like this You set apart Christ the Lord in your heart, because again, everything is from the wellspring of the heart. I mean, have you ever thought about this thought? Who you are fearing is ultimately who you and I are honoring. Who we fear is ultimately who we honor. I mean, when Peter uses these words, about honor, it's having this connotation, if you will, this definition of this honor, this allegiance, this worship, and as Christ is holy, we are sanctifying, we are consecrating, we are hallowing the name of Christ. Again, for the true believer, when you truly see what you've been freed from, when you see just not the being freed from the enemy of self, with that in and of itself is amazing but i'm talking about when you understand that you have been freed from eternal damnation how can you not respond i just want to honor christ all the days of my life i love scripture and first samuel 22 says it like this write this down 1 Samuel 2.2, 2. there is none holy like the Lord, there is none beside you, there is no rock like our God. And all God's people said, I mean, that's an amazing verse, isn't it? Let me read that one more time. 1 Samuel 2.2, 2. there is none holy like the Lord, there is none beside you, there is no rock like our God. Do you understand this today, church, that no matter what you're dealing with and the struggles and the pain and the disappointments, and and maybe you've had a really crummy week, maybe your life is unraveling at the seams, do you understand this, that if you've given your life to Jesus, if God really owns you through His Son, Jesus Christ, that you are standing on the rock that can never be moved, That no matter what is topsy-turvy in your world today, and it seems like where the ground is shifting almost every other minute in your life. You guys ever been there before? You feel like, I don't know what's going on here, but you can only pull so many pieces out of the Django puzzle before it falls. And you're just wondering what piece is going to get pulled out next. Do you understand this? That no matter, church, listen to the Word of God here. There, there is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Man, I just love that verse. That just encourages me. That infuses me with a passion to live for the Lord. And I pray it does for you too. How about Hebrews chapter 7, 26? Write this one down, Hebrews 7, 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should what? Have such a high priest, holy, there's the word holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Do you see King Jesus? I mean, just listen to this again. Hebrews 7:26. For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Boy, in the Old Testament, they would take a lamb and they would execute the lamb to shed the blood and it had to be a perfect lamb do you understand this in the new testament we simply know this that jesus the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world regardless of what hollywood says or washington or your friends or whoever else i know this jesus christ is and forever will be perfect and therefore that when i cast my sin upon him when you cast your sin upon him That he'll take his blood and wash you as white as snow. It doesn't matter what you've done, what you've committed. There is nothing that can outrun the blood of Jesus Christ.
1: You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch.
0: You say, well how do we know all this? Well, write down one final verse under this section. Write down Mark chapter 1, verse 24. Mark chapter 1, 24. This is an amazing section of Scripture because Jesus heals a man with an unclean spirit. Listen to what is said here in this one verse. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know... I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Wow. He knows. See, when you begin to see Jesus for who He really is, we begin to see who we really are. And we see how direly we need the blood of King Jesus. That's why Peter's saying here, he's saying, look, but in your hearts, don't just feel it. Don't just think about it. Don't just read about it once a week. He's saying, oh, church. He's saying, but in your hearts, moment by moment, day by day, all your week long, honor, bless, glorify, praise, honor Christ as holy. As set apart, there's none like Him. Where? In your hearts. And when you and I begin to do that, imagine what He'll do. So in light of the wicked people that Peter's talking about that are trying to intimidate, look at the next part of the verse. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. You know, it's interesting, church, when you see the word always there, it means what always does at all times, perpetually, even... Just without any end. So always being what? Being prepared. Being ready. The question we ask on the front end of the message today was simply this, am I, are you prepared? And here's the answer. The answer is this, that we are to be prepared always. Always being prepared, but to do what? Well, here it is, to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope That is in you. Most of you probably know this, but that word defense there is where we get our English word apologetics. It's making a deeply thought out, reasoned argument that's centered, grounded, and anchored in the truth. That's exactly what that phrase means. It doesn't say just make a defense because you like it. It doesn't say make a defense because that's what you've been taught all your life. It doesn't say make a defense because that's the popular thing to do in our culture today. It says make a apologetics that's reasoned, that's well thought out, and that is grounded and welded and riveted to the truth. One of the schemes of the enemy today is to get people to make reasoned arguments that aren't really reasoned. And whatever way the wind blows is the way that they reason. Why? Well, it's real simple. When you remove the truth, you remove all true reasoning. And it's a scheme of the enemy. Well, I don't really want to be under that. I don't really like it. And I don't want to tell you that because if I told you that, I'd be exposed. So let me give you all these excuses. It's just a scheme of the enemy. And Peter's saying, look, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your persecution, the last thing you want to do is get out from under this. Because once you get out from under this, all protection is gone. And you're just floating around out there in the middle of your sea by yourself. And the enemy's got you right where he wants you. And then you get the blind leading the blind. And then one person drives over the cliff and their friend goes, hey, you know what? Let's drive over the cliff with them. And just one after another. And it all comes back to, we really don't love this. Because if you really love this, you don't get out from under it. You just say, give me more. Give me more. I got to have this. It, it's nourishment for my soul. It, it actually feeds me. It's kind of like a car. I mean, you know, if you decide to put apple juice in the gas tank, good luck, amen. A lot of people are putting apple juice in their spiritual gas tank. Why? Well, cuz it's more fun, right? It's it tastes better. It's just another sign of our culture in these last days where men will be lovers of themselves and they hate the truth. And Peter says, don't do it. That's why key number two is so important. Key number two, write this down. The best spiritual defense is a continually being prepared spiritual offense. Key number two, write it down. The best spiritual defense is a continually being prepared spiritual offense. You know, it's interesting in that verse that we just read there, that section of verse 15, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, this hope is not a I'm wishing, it's not I'm crossing my fingers. I can say, I hope, I hope when I get home. There are some chocolate chip muffins on the counter. That's not this hope. Church, I hope you get this. When Peter is talking about this hope, when he's talking about this hope, this is a confident expectation. This is not, I hope this thing's gonna work out. Well, I hope Jesus really arose from the dead, and well, I hope I place my faith and trust in Him, and I hope it all you know, is going to end up like I'd like it to. No, this is a hope that there's confidence in the midst of the struggle, that I know my Redeemer lives, that I'm not going to bend, I'm not going to buckle, I'm not going to break. I know God has promised this in His Word to me, and I'm going to stand on the truth of God's Word. That's what Peter's talking about here. Not some wishy washy, you know, fuddy duddy, milky toe, spineless hope. This is a confident expectation. Where do you get that from? You get that from yourself? You get that from just pulling yourself up by your bootstraps? Is that what you do? No. It all goes back to union to Christ. When you're truly in union to Him, church, everything is a outflow I was thinking of these verses to hopefully encourage you because how will you how will I continually be prepared did you notice he said always be prepared not like hey once in a while not like I raised a hand said a prayer did the cartwheel signed the card got dunked got that over with come on Jesus here are my plans No, it's always being prepared, always. It's perpetual. How do you do that? Well, you really got to own your own discipleship. If someone else is owning your discipleship, your discipleship will never grow. But when you own your own discipleship and you begin to understand how important, not that it's just to God, but how important it is to your growth, that's when everything begins to change. Think about 2 Timothy Chapter 3, 16 through 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God, that the woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Church, not a trick question, not a trick question here, but if you want to be complete and equipped for every good work, any clue on what you should do, don't overthink this. For the Word of God is profitable. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be what? Complete and equipped for every good work. If you really want to be complete and equipped for every good work, you don't run away from God's Word, you run to God's Word. And yet the enemy has just fed a pack of lies to so many people as they drive over the spiritual cliffs of life. How about 1 Peter? Go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. We studied this a long time ago. 1 Peter 1.13. 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. There's the word preparing. For what? For action. And being sober-minded, clear-headed. Set your hope. It's very interesting. So there's a preparing your minds for action and a setting of your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of who, Church. Jesus Christ see this is not overly complicated but what complicates this is the me monster and the me monster gets in here and the flesh is not being pleased and satisfied and the flesh convinces our minds that it's I'm not really being fed when the reality is you're being fed you just don't want to eat and here's where we end up I was thinking about an example of someone who is bold. And look at this example in scripture from 1 Samuel 17:41 through 49. This is a bold answer of hope. So set your hope fully on Christ. Be ready, be prepared always to give a defense, that apologetics for the hope that's within you. And again, when the hope's in you, when someone asks, you don't have to go, well, here, give me a moment to think about this. No, the hope's already in you. You just begin to now speak. You give the defense. You give the answer for the hope that's in you. Listen to the hope in this section of verses from 1 Samuel 17, 41-49. As David faced a seemingly insurmountable giant. And the Philistine moved towards and forward and came near to David with his shield bare in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. See, he mocks. That's what happens, right? You begin to mock. He's mocking For he was but a youth. He was ruddy and handsome in in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Well, the taunting is going on, isn't it? The Philistine cursed David by his gods. Then the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the field. But then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day, not tomorrow, not next week, not next year, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. Why? That all, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with a sword and a spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And He will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to David to meet him. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the head, the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground and all God's people said, Wow! Wow! Did you notice the boldness in David? Did you notice this when he looked at the giant? Did you notice his response? It wasn't hunkering in the bunker, it wasn't cowering, it wasn't pleasing, man. It was, here's the deal I serve God, you don't, you're in trouble. And I love the portion I read there where he says, You come to me with the sword, with the javelin. But I come to you. I come to you in the name of the Lord my God. And I come to you with boldness. And oh, by the way, here's the deal. When you're coming out to meet me, I'm running towards you. Oh, we need some men and women all over this country that are willing to run towards the battle to no longer hunker in that bunker and tower but begin to be men and women of the cross of Jesus Christ and understand this deep theological truth that when you've really given your life to Christ you have nothing to fear. Are you prepared? is the question. Are you really prepared? Are you truly preparing See, God's Word gives us one final admonition. And as you're thinking through this last part of this verse, I just want to remind us as I'm just thinking about this thought, that Peter, the one who wrote this, that Peter went from coward to courageous. Hey, Peter, do you know this guy named Jesus? I don't know this guy. I don't know who this guy is. Once, twice, three times. And Jesus, in his sovereignty of being all knowing, says, Peter, here's the deal. In spite of you, something's going to click in a moment in your life, and the light bulb's going to come on, and you're going to be the Petra. The little stone that I'm going to build my church on. Jesus said, I'm going to do the building, but I'm going to build my church on you, this foundation. And what happens is that when Christ truly became real in Peter's life, he went from coward to courageous. Because you fast forward to Acts chapter 5, and you see so beautifully that that there Peter is, and he's speaking there to the religious people of the day, and and they're coming at him saying, you guys can't go out and preach this Jesus. And he goes, watch me he says watch me he said here's the deal i'm gonna obey god rather than you and then what happens you fast forward later in acts chapter five and they get beaten and they get tortured for the name of jesus it says this that they left the presence of the religious people and they were rejoicing counted it honoring and worthy to suffer shame for the name from coward to courageous See, that's what happens when Jesus takes over a life. But how do we do this? Well, we do it in the last part of this verse 15 of 1 Peter with two words. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So here it is. So we saw, but do this transitional. Listen up, listen up. And now all of a sudden, yet. Transitional. Listen up, listen up. Proceed with, do this with gentleness, with Humility, a mildness of disposition, and respect, a a respect that truly honors. So here's your last key. Key number three, write this down. As we pierce the darkness with the light of the Gospel, remember that extending gentleness and respect will go a long way key number three write this down as we pierce the darkness with the light of the gospel remember that extending gentleness and respect will go a long way here's kind of a thought that i was marinating on this past week but just think through this with me rhetorically but who was jesus in the gospels the kindest towards would you say just think through that answer who was he kindest towards Tax collectors, prostitutes, down-and-outers, lost people, right? Who was he the hardest on? Well, the religious elite, right? we got this thing all figured out, all the do's and the don'ts and the rules and the regulations, and here's what we do. And then he comes to them and says, oh, you brood of vipers, which by the way, if you're taking notes, is not a compliment. He goes, the outside of your dish is clean, but the inside is filthy. He says, you're literally like dead man's bones in the midst of a whitewashed tomb. The outside, the external looks so good, but but the inside, the heart, the honoring Christ in your heart is rotten. You know, it's interesting that when I I talk to folks each week out in the community as I'm sharing the gospel and hearing their story. It really goes a long way to be gentle, be kind. I hate to say this, but some of the meanest people I've ever encountered over the years of my life have been people that profess the name of Jesus. Just mean. Just mean people. Are all people that profess Jesus mean? Of course not. There's a lot of really nice people. Kind people. I find it interesting that when you really think about this thought, that that a person who is truly becoming more like Christ, if it's real, their heart is softening It's not getting harder, it's getting softer when it's real. And there's something about this because for the person that has truly given their life to Christ and they are regenerate, there's a regeneration that has happened inside their life that Christ through His blood, through His righteousness has taken a dead person and now made them alive, the heart begins to begin to be made new. And there's a softening in this. I was thinking through that and I wanted to give you a couple more verses just to underpin this thought. Write down Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Write this down. Galatians 6, verse 1. Powerful verse. Powerful. Here's what it says. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of what church? Gentleness. Why? Keeping watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Now now this is interesting. Is there a time to fashion a whip and turn over some tables? Those happen occasionally, but if that's kind of a habitual pattern, that's not a good sign. See, what happens so often is when we get wounded, if we're not careful, we can develop underlying, simmering resentment. And it's just there. It's festering, sometimes for decades. And so to then be gentle, to be respectful, isn't our default. I can't ask you to do something I'm not willing to do, so let me give you an example. So when, not if, but when people speak illly of me, I often will send them a note. And it's often a note thanking them. Thank you for the times that you did something kind for me. See, it's important, church, because when you stand for the truth, it's not if you're going to be persecuted and slandered, it's just a matter of when. So, if you're willing to imitate Christ, as he's been teaching me to do, prayerfully, that will be a witness to the people that are doing the hurting. Because at the end of the day, we want all people, including myself, to repent and to fall madly in love with Jesus. Amen? (laughs) And yet in a broken world where there's so much hate and so much division, we can be the ones, we must be the ones, that in the midst of all of it, imitate Christ. Amen? Let me give you a final section of verses. Here it is, Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 26. And I believe this is going to wrap all of this up so beautifully. Here's what it says. Galatians 5, 16 through 26. Paul writes again, church in Galatians. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. They're warring. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other to do something to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Holy Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Their sexual immorality, their impurity, their sensuality, their idolatry, their sorcery. Well, all those things sound horrible, don't they? But what about some of these things, enmity and strife and jealousy and fits of anger and rivalries and dissensions and divisions and envy and oh, let's go back to a bigger list now drunkenness and orgies and things like these. I warn you, Paul says as I warned you before previously, that those who do such things habitually, there's no repentance, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But transitional word The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, those who have given their life to Jesus, those who surrender their life to Christ, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Don't grieve. Don't quench. Let us not become conceited, prideful, provoking one another, envying one another. Question for you and me today, are you prepared? Are you really prepared? Are you prepared to give a defense for the hope that's within you? Oh, I pray that I and you are, as the Holy Spirit lives in us, the fruit of the Spirit won't have to be gumptioned up, it will just be a natural outflow of who owns us and who lives within us. Amen? Father, we come before you, and Lord, as we lift up your word. Oh, Father, I pray in this time, perhaps there's one here that's never given their life to you, and Lord, I just pray, would You speak into their lives? Will You encourage them, Lord? I pray that You'll bless them, work in their lives like never before. Lord, give us gentleness. Give us respect. Help us to carry and bear one another's burdens today. Oh, Father, work in this place. Work in this place right now as we surrender our lives to You. Not partially, but total surrender. Oh Lord, do the work now as we glorify Your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen.